very, very first episode of Films Like the First Time. What does that mean? Well, it's a riff on the song Feels Like the First Time. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, so you know how sometimes you're having a conversation with somebody. Sometimes? And yeah, well, I don't talk to people very often, but once in a while. And you start like riffing about uh, a movie and then there's one person in the conversation who's just like, I've never seen that. And everybody turns to them and goes, you've never seen, insert name of movie here. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Yeah, but we've seen those. Um, because we're nerds. I've never about. seen The Hobbit. The, the Don't the just watch the cartoon no, version. No, yeah, it's just uh, you've already. I've already spent ten hours with these little people, and I don't need to anymore. The only the only good part of the Hobbit is Smog, and he's only in the movie for like twenty minutes. Okay, so like, um, also, if you're just listening uh, for the first time, because this is the first episode, <laughs> this is who we are. Stands as the reason. People. We tend to tangent a lot. We're going to try not to do that because I'm very tired. Um, but anyway, the, the premise, like I said, is is that. Uh, so we've compiled a list of movies that at least one of us has seen. A list of, these are like classic movies that most people should have seen. According to experts. But we're gonna or just more. according to American society also, in general. We'll add more movies than that. Um, and we can start adding things like cult favorites like Arachnophobia. Or that movie is circuit. great, great movie, both of them. Yes, or Over the Top, which is... <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, 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 no, you know what? Don't spoil Over the Top. I will not. Over the Top... Because I think if that... Because oh, now, yeah, now it, now it almost has to. It's yes. been willed into existence. And then, yes, we will take turns as our three hosts um, will do. They'll take turns picking a movie that we will then watch all together. Uh, for at least one of us, that'll be the first time they've ever seen that movie, and then we will talk about that movie on this podcast um, in a format similar to the old great podcast, Netflix and Spill, if you've ever listened to that. Uh, probably not, but if you have, um, you might recognize the voices that you are hearing right now. Um, in fact, let's introduce ourselves because we haven't done so just yet, and we're already two and a half minutes into the podcast. Wow. I'm Nick Mataragas. I'm Amanda Davila. And I'm Dave Musto. Amanda sounds so enthusiastic. I, I'm so tired. She's uh, under the weather. Um, yep. Because we it's winter. Get, we wanted to get this episode recorded uh, and uh, recorded in time for the Christmas holiday. Yay. Amanda p- picked the very first film on our list. I didn't even realize I was picking a movie. I was just making a suggestion because it's the holidays. And what was that suggestion? Well, neither of these two fools has seen It's a Wonderful Life. Even though Nick and I actually did an improv show based on It's a Wonderful Life like a week ago, yep. he's never seen the movie. So I suggested uh, that we do that and you know, for our Christmas release. Yes. So first episode, It's a Wonderful Life. The Frank Capra classic from the 1940s starring Donna Reed and James Jimmy Stewart, who uh, is an amazing actor. I, I will talk about Jimmy Stewart. He's later. much less warbly in his younger years than as he got older. So yeah, we all three watched It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> you. Dave so you know did not. That, so you know we do, uh, you know, messaging on Slack. Everybody's on. Oh no, we're not Slack. We're what are we're on Discord? It's the same, same thing. fucking yeah, thing. Same fucking thing. Uh, so this is not here. family friendly podcast, huh? Cool. So uh, I don't know. I mean, this is a, it's a wonderful life, isn't it? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. And usually what that involves is a, you know, a bunch of people over and for the holidays and you're probably watching and yelling at your family members and cursing at them. So this is perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, Dave, I hate to tell you this, but it, that's not, it's not, it's not, yeah. I know it sounds like a myth, but there are those of us out there that like and get along with our families and that don't do that at the holidays. Now, admittedly, uh, again, kind of going back to uh, why I didn't see this, um, because we were talking in the chat about what to do the first episode on. I suggested two movies. Uh, Yeah. One of which I'd never seen. Which you can't do. You're not allowed to pick a movie you Well, that should have been specified right then and there. Uh, because it was never really... I mean, it's, I don't know if you're Basically, Dave to... watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles actually, and I not didn't. It's a Wonderful Life. Actually, I didn't watch either. Uh, but oh. that's because I've <laughs> But that's because I've seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles enough times where uh, I don't need to see it again if I don't... If I don't have the time, which I was too busy watching uh, cult crime shows to. Uh... Right. Cool. So we're talking that's a wonderful life. Yes, we are. Um, Same thing. Us. <laughs> and he's going to give feedback as, as he will. Um, this is actually going to be sort of like going back to when I was, you know, in, in high school and we had to read books and I uh, didn't. And. Uh, <laughs> The discussions and I just kind of would listen to what everybody else was saying in class and then I would distill what they were saying into uh, something more of a cogent point and make it sound better. I had excellent participation grades in my English class. I don't think you've ever met my friend Jared, but yeah, he did the same thing. He was the best bullshitter ever. He never read anything and always still got A's because he just try to sound poignant and the teacher would be like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's let's talk about what we're supposed to talk about. Yeah, let's dig into it. So Amanda, since you, uh, I guess, kind of chose this this film, sure. Uh, what what made you feel like we needed to watch it? I mean, just for the premise of this podcast, "It's a Wonderful Life" is a holiday classic. It's been around literally since the 1940s. So this movie is. 80 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things that's pretty ubiquitous, at least in the US. It's on every year on multiple channels. It's something that, you know, I would watch with my mom while making Christmas cookies because, again, I actually get along with my family, which I know isn't a universal experience. But, um, yeah, so it just seemed like a good good starting point for a classic film that everybody should have at least seen in passing at some point that neither of you had ever seen. Um. Interesting. So now I'm not saying that this is a classic movie that everybody should love. I'm just saying I'm very surprised that both enough. of you haven't fair seen enough. it. Uh, I will say I did not love It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I, I liked I, it. I liked It's a Wonderful Life. I think there are good qualities to it. Um, as a person and the only person on this podcast who watched it for the first time uh, last night, um, it's interesting. It's a little heavy-handed. Uh, well, this is from wait, the 1940s. Are you, wait, are you trying to say that F- Frank Capra <laughs> is heavy-handed? Yes, was um, too heavy-handed. Yes, I also it's the thing that caught me the most off guard wa- was the issue of pacing in this movie. You so 
everyone knows the premise of It's a Wonderful Life is George Bailey wishes he was never born, and then he's shown by Clarence Angel that uh, the world would be worse off without him, and he chooses to come back. We all know that. It's not a spoiler. Also, just so you know, we're going to give away spoilers uh, on these movies, so if you're listening to this podcast, do it after you watch the movie. Um, yeah, this is about movies that we just watched, right. do, not do about as, movies. <laughs> do as we say, not as we do. That whole part of the movie yes. is like 45 minutes of a two-hour movie, two-plus-hour movie. Like, it's more about George Bailey's biography than it is about that whole premise. Which I actually, I rewatched this. I hadn't seen it in quite a while, um, and I didn't remember that, yeah, two-thirds in the movie is just George Bailey's life up to that point. And the better two-thirds of the this goes into the heavy-handedness. It's such an interesting film in the sense that I think what they establish in the first two-thirds of the movie that is this theme of, and it's going to be weird, people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Capitalism versus socialism. In the sense that Mr. Potter represents capitalism, like pure, unadulterated capitalism. That's what he represents. And the Baileys represent a more socialistic approach to an economy, to a society, to whatever. Um, also, I think a young Bernie Sanders was in the movie. I could see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was Clarence Angel. No, um, I, but it, it's interesting interesting to see that dynamic, especially in the 1940s, which is like right at the very beginning of the Red Scare. So uh, like, it's such a weird thing to think about, but that's really what, what we see as a dynamic, in the, as a theme. And then we get into the whole religion thing, which doesn't really hit until George Bailey's attempted suicide. And it turns into a movie that wasn't, not, not like, it's no longer about that first theme, but about what seems like very strict puritanical beliefs. I guess I missed that. Explain. So, what are the things that we saw in the world when George Bailey didn't exist? What were the things that were so shocking? Uh, that uh, Mr. Potter... Owned everything. Right. And what, what did downtown look like when Mr. Potter owned everything? It was all bars and burlesque shows. Oh, It was all bars and burlesque shows? I know yes. that the Bailey Trust or whatever was a bar, but... Yep. Oh, my goodness. So it was oh, original 1980s Back to the Future. No, it wasn't that bad. Martini's was still a bar, but right. different type of bar. Also, it was the drink that led to George Bailey almost killing himself, right? Like, it was very, it became very heavy, like... See, I didn't even get that it was the drink. I thought he just hit a downward spiral and... Yeah, but that was like the last time he got drunk. He got all DUI and hit a tree. After he got hit, after he yelled at his family. Yeah, no, him yelling at the family, that was a powerful moment, for sure. We're getting ahead of ourselves, for sure, but like... Yeah, it was just it, the dynamic change between the first two thirds of the movie to the second, the, the last third of the movie was so striking to me, and like it really just like flipped on a, like a switch, which was so wild to think about. Um, I also think that none of this is, would be successful. I'm gonna pour myself some tea. Keep talking. Okay. Uh, I also think that none of this would be successful without Jimmy Stewart, who I think is the lead character. Right. Well, yes, it's George Bailey, but who I think is. Interestingly enough, despite being very famous, one of the most underrated actors of his time. Um, he, especially at a time when, like, everybody, like, then, like, a lot of male leads were, in those days, were, like, 
big talkers, big suave guy. Like he could play a simple guy and a very, you know, subtle character better than a lot of the leading men of that time. But he also was not, uh, or he also was prone to uh, a, a little bit of a Don Knotts overacting on a pay- on occasion as well. Well, I think that's more of his, like, partly his own natural, like, voice and cadence. What do you mean, Jack? Well, I just, uh, oh. That's also just kind of the style of acting at that time. But, but if you look deeper into it, like, his face, there's a moment, I can't remember which scene it was, but there's a moment where they just stop on his face for a good three or four seconds, and it's such a powerful moment in the movie. I have it in my notes, and I'm sure if we dig through a little bit further into it, I'll remember which scene it was, but like it was so powerful and strong and not overdone. And like it's a reason that a lot of my favorite movies, a lot of my favorite Hitchcock movies have Jimmy Stewart in it. You know, Vertigo is a great movie partly because of Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't discount what he was to to those movies. But like, same thing. Like, Rear Window mm-hmm. could have just as easily been. I don't know. Shia LaBeouf. Well, probably, yeah, probably not that. I mean, he was in that that re- basic remake of of Rear Window. They they should put a uh, Peter Dinklage in there instead. God, I love Peter Dinklage. I can put Peter Dinklage in just about anything, and I watch it. Except for Pixels. I will not watch that movie. What if he were uh, Dr. King? Okay, Would yeah, you watch that'd be, that? That'd be a problem. That'd be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't watch. I would not watch that. I'm a- sorry. FDR. FDR could be interesting. Just throwing that out there. I could see that. But you... Uh, I could also have seen Jimmy Stewart playing FDR. You, and you brought up Part of what I, I like about uh, certain filmmakers, and you can kind of tell when they when they have their own cut, mm-hmm. where where those shots will linger uh, on an act on an actor, so you can see the processing of of yeah. whatever the moment is, and when you when it's something that doesn't happen in a lot of films nowadays, where things are just allowed to breathe a little bit. Allow, allow you to um, just sit in the enormity of a moment. Well, and I think that's part of partly the audience's fault right now. Audiences right now, and even like people that are really into film, like they don't like long movies. They don't like movies that take their time. Like this is a two everyone's plus hour attention movie. span is so short now. This is a two plus hour movie, and it didn't feel long to me. I, like even though they took their a lot of time in the biography and not a lot of time in the the meat of the premise i didn't feel like oh my god just get to it right it never felt that way to me well yeah that's because there's there are paul the paul thomas anderson's in the world now and they and they and 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 scorsese now jesus he just put out a like a four-hour movie right but but people are honestly like wow it's over 90 minutes oh man um and so you don't get when you do that when you have to condense movies because that's what audiences like you don't get those those moments, those shots anymore, because it takes up time, and the audience wants that time. Doesn't want to use it, to use that time sitting there in the movie theater or on watching it on TV. Yeah, yeah, your your characters shouldn't always be talking a mile of minutes. Yeah. Which oddly is a bit 
of that style from the 40s. Like, you see? Like, everybody talks really fast, you see? Oh, and, the, the and then the transatlantic accent and all right. of that. Yeah. Um, let's go back because we just kind of jumping around a little bit. But Well, I walked away and you guys, yes. yeah. I just mean let's go back in the sense of the time of the movie, like where we are. Because we've been like kind of, I got into the whole bigger arching stuff and then we started talking about it. But the movie starts off with God. And what's the what's the other angel's name? I can't even remember. Talking about Clarence. Clarence? Talking about no, because there's God. By the way, God and the angels are all uh, instead of actual physical manifestations. They're, they're the stars. They're they're well, they're actually galaxies in 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 the in the stars, right? Like whatever, yeah. Like which is weird to me. It was a very interesting choice. Um. I mean, it was probably the easiest way to represent celestial beings as celestial bodies. Unless you just hire uh, Morgan Freeman. And, and, that, yeah, and then you can just, uh, you don't have to hire a face. That, uh, right. That, that, Stars you, without that, a face. That could, just be, that could just be Capra himself doing voiceover. You don't know. Right. Well, and I will say God was very 1950s sitcom dad sounding, uh, which was interesting. So they're like, oh, there's George Bailey. Let's give him to Clarence the Angel, who has no wings. And they established pretty quickly that Clarence is a bit of a fuck-up. Yep. And I'm like, well, what? everybody's praying for George Bailey. It's literally like, it starts off with this cacophony of prayers for George Bailey. And God's like, yeah, let's give him the shitty angel. Okay, thanks. Thanks, God. Everybody wants George Bailey to get help, and you're like, let's pick the bottom rung for, for poor George Bailey. Well, I mean, he's a drunk who just drove off the road. Was he really worth? Well, so he was. And let, let's be real. Weirdly, you mentioned that, and I was telling Nick earlier that like, I hadn't watched this in years, and I really didn't remember a lot of the first part of the movie. I remembered mostly drunk George Bailey like doing all of the terrible things that he did as he was starting to unravel. And I'm like, why Which is Why do we care about George Bailey? Capra spends an hour and 45 minutes, if not more, making sure that George Bailey is the most endearing character in the world, almost to a, the point of annoyance. Like, damn it, George, I don't want to like you this much because it, it hurts me that it hurts you that you're this good of a person. Um, and we still see that right away. Like, the first thing we see is them sledding down a hill on shovels as kids. Like, riding with the, 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 the handle of the shovel between their legs. I'm like, little boys are going to, well, well yeah it was the 1920s this is how shit worked and his brother falls into the lake through the ice which I saw coming like everybody saw that coming and George no hesitation dives in and saves his brother his drowning brother in the lake like immediately like that that first thing we see is George saving somebody's life at the risk of his own and that sets sets the level right there for the whole movie Self-sacrifice. Wait, these are adults? No, these are, no, these are children. Okay, it starts so, when they're okay. like 10 yeah. years old. So the, the premise is they're showing Clarence the Angel of George Bailey's life. Uh, okay, gotcha. So he has information when he needs to go save him. That's the premise. Um, so we see George Bailey save as, as a child save his brother. And then we see him go to work, child labor, at the local pharmacy. That was so weird that he was like 12 years old right. and working at the pharmacy. And we see... A, uh, we see a very young Mary in the pharmacy waiting for George to show up. This is like an eight-year-old girl, and she is smitten. Like, smitten. I thought you were going to say, and she is stacked. No. <laughs> no. Get there in a second. Oh, no, that's Violet. Holy, okay. 
<laughs> we're talking about stacked eight-year-olds no, here? No, no, no. They were like 12. There's, there's a time jump. Get, <laughs> oh, okay. adult age Violet, and holy shit, she is a full-on snack. Well, that was the whole point <laughs> of Violet's character. Yes, well, here's another religious parallel. I I also saw George Bailey as, at the end as a Christ figure and, and Violet as a Mary Magdalene figure. I guess. I mean, I, I just appreciated that in that scene, in the scene in the pharmacy, which is also a soda shop because pharmacies used to always be yes. soda shops, um, the two are having a conversation and Violet's talking about little boy George and she's like, oh, he's like, he's so cute. I like him. And Mary's like, you like all the boys. And Violet's like, and what's wrong with that? Like, it was immediately like, no slut shaming, Mary. We're going to shut this shit down right here. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> who's the only person that's single at the end of the movie that is like in dire straits? Violet. Right? It definitely. I think she wanted to be single. Yes, I think she wanted to be single, but I think that the movie doesn't treat her well because of who she is. Look, she's single in the morning, but she's involved at night. Who cares? I, I fucking love Violet in this movie. She's great. She's. My second favorite character in this movie. My favorite character, by the way, is Annie. The, the main. Oh, I'm like, which one is she's Annie? So fucking good. Even though she's in like three minutes of the movie, she's great. Anyway, we're going to get to Annie. But yeah, we see him in the soda shop and his boss is drunk and abusive. And we find out that he just found out that his son had died. Mm-hmm. And George gets the shit beat out of him by his boss. But George has the... Emotional intelligence as a 12-year-old boy to understand what's happening. Yes. Which is kind of cool. Right. He also, the reason he got a shit beat out of him is because he saved a kid's life by realizing that his drunk boss accidentally put poison in a child's medicine. Which I love that this pharmacist just had bottles of poison sitting amongst his pharmaceuticals so that he could do his compounding with them. I mean, to be fair, a lot of pharmaceuticals uh, have small amounts of poison as part of what the treatment is. Um... But yes, it is also very over the top with that. Um, was, so, was it a bottle with like the crossbones it, yes. on it? Yes, oh, it was literally a glass letters. bottle labeled poison. Giant letters. Um, once the pharmacist realizes it, he, he hugs George. He's like, I'm sorry, George. Oh, thank you. And then we get to jump into George at just outside of high school when his brother is graduating mm-hmm. high school with his brother, Harry, who, by the way, the first time we see Harry was at, the, at home with the parents. They're about to have dinner. And Annie's there. And as Harry's leaving for his, like, senior dance, he slaps Annie's ass. Yes, he does. And I'm like, what the fucker? Right? Like, this is, and this is a prototypical, one of the only two black characters in the movie is Annie the maid. And he, as she's walking to the kitchen, as Harry's leaving the house, he just slaps her ass like it's nothing at all. Well, he was chasing her at one point, like flirting with her. I did like that, even though this movie took place in the night, you know, was in the 1940s, supposedly taking place and it was 1928 at this time, Mm -hmm. that Annie still had character. Like she was, she had authority in that house and as a character, which was interesting to see. It was great. I loved Annie. Like she had the best. I feel like you probably didn't get to see that represented that often back then. Fair enough. That is true, and that is a very, like, specific to that time kind of thing. Um, so then, oh, here I'm finally at my notes. Oh, we did see Violet uh, just before that. There was a scene where George is talking to his friend, the taxi driver, and, mm-hmm. car, and Violet walks by. And in 1940s, they did the whole, like, whoa, look as, as Violet's walking by. The reaction walk. One guy almost gets hit by a car because he's staring at her. <laughs> 
In this old thing, I only wear this when no one cares what I look like. When I don't care what I look like. That's what she said. And what people think beautiful people look like change over time. But if Violet was that age now, she would still be considered damn hot. I'm not even kidding. Like, it's a weird thing. Sometimes you'll see, you know, movies like Leading Ladies and all this stuff. Like, this is what beauty was in this decade or whatever. But Violet was like, it's like transcends, like her gorgeousness. It's, I feel like it's weird that I'm talking this much about it. But it, it, it is. It you are out. you're a little obsessed. It stood out in a weird way to me. Um, <laughs> actually, there were a lot of parallels in this movie. That I'm like, we still do this shit today, and it's funny. Um, we'll get to some of that stuff. But yeah, um, so they're, they're at home, and his brother's trying to get ready to leave, and they're like, yeah, George, you know, you're like four years out of high school. Why don't you go to the dance, too? Uh, which is weird because that's not creepy, right? And they're all, and then Dad's like, "No gin tonight, son." I'm like, "What? I'm like, what? What? No gin tonight? What are you talking about?" I don't know what the drinking age was, or if there was a drinking age right, back then. But also, like, it's just such a weird thing for a dad to say, like, jokingly, too. Like, why? I don't know. It just seemed weird. Um, and so then uh, we get to that. Uh, that that scene of dance and there's the guys hanging out and all this and then we get the reintroduction of Mary which is played by Don who's played by Donna Reed and it's supposed to be 18 years old even though Donna Reed is probably 28 years old in this film yeah she's definitely not 18 um, and they're dancing and they meet and it's very clear that Mary still is smitten I mean so we kind of skipped at the pharmacy George he injures his ear, so he's deaf in one ear yes, after saving his brother. Right. And as he's helping Mary at the soda shop, like getting her ice cream or whatever, she leans over and whispers, is this your bad ear? And then when he doesn't answer, she's like, I'm going to marry you someday, George Bailey, and love you for the rest of my life. Which, oh my God. I want to talk about that a little bit, like the Mary thing. And why she's so much like Biff? No. What? I'm going to marry you one day. You're going to be my wife. McFly. Um, Mary's obsession is unhealthy. Oh, but she's just young and in love. No, no, no. She is in love, but she's also full on obsessed. Like, and we see it even further on. Like, when they finally do get together a couple years later and she's got the, the lasso, George lassos the moon drawing and she's all like, oh, George is going to love, George is going to love. Like, her entire young adult life and adolescence has been obsessing over George Bailey. Like, it's I mean, that was after she got back from college. So she like at least went and did something. Yeah, I mean, she dated Hee Haw for a little bit, but like she was still obsessed with George Bailey. She was in love. It was her childhood crush. I think it's... I think it's a little creepy how, how far it went, like, her obsession. I don't disagree, but also, again, this is a, how a lot of that was portrayed back then. I, I get that. Also, George never loved her that much up until until, until at least they got married. It oh, So here's the thing with that is this whole movie is sort of the male version of of the trad wife epiphany, which is something that I have issues with just in general. I was going to talk to you about this because it made me, this makes me think of everything everywhere all at once. 
Yes, that's the trad wife epiphany. Right. So for anybody that doesn't know what that term means, the How trad- How many movies that I've never seen are we going to talk the- about in this show? <laughs> oh, that might have to go on the list then. Everything Everywhere All at Once is quite good. And a recent movie. Um, but so the trad wife epiphany is essentially every Hallmark movie that's ever been made um, where big city gal with a career and a life and all these things but is single at some point realizes that she doesn't need fame and success and money and any of that. All she really needs is children and a husband to take care of. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. That is fine for the women that want that, but that is not the only reason for women to be happy. Look, leave Lacey Chabert alone. And the male version of this is George Bailey, Bailey, where... He really is. Everyone is definitely better off with him in their life, but his whole life has been self-sacrifice. He wanted... He wanted to lasso the moon. He had these dreams of going to college and of traveling and of seeing the world and of being his own man and doing all of these things. And he consistently gave all of this up for other people. Even the fact that, but it seemed even his dreams weren't selfish. Like he wanted to see the world, but he also wanted to build things like bridges and buildings for people to live in. And like even his big dreams were still things to help others. And like, like I said, he is good to a fault. But yes, Mary loves him way more than he loves her. In fact, even when they finally get together, and he's like, oh, Mary. I'm like, dude, he's just horny. <laughs> oh. That whole conversation over the phone with Hee Haw was super weird. Yeah. Because I walked weird. away for a second. Like, they were, I could hear them talking. And then when I walked back into the room, that Mary and George are on one end of the line. Because Hee Haw was, you know, courting Mary at this point. Right. Um, and they were just like really close together and like having this weird feverish moment over some business proposal that Hee Haw was giving. I'm like, what is happening right now? And like, at one point, like they're down there and Mary's mom, who does not like George, is like, what are you doing down there? And she's like, I'm going to make, George is going to make love to me. And I'm like, what the that is again this was the 1940s that was like pretty risque to say to your mom yeah um but yeah even that even that scene i don't think george is in love with her there i think he's horny i think he likes mary well obviously he likes mary it it was a it was a cute thing where you know his mom is like well george maybe you could go see mary and he's like "Eh, why and then he runs into violet on the street and and he's like hey violet let's go out and she's like of course i want to go out with you but then he comes up with this like let's walk barefoot in a field on a mountain and she starts freaking out because like that just sounds absolutely awful to her what is sounds great to me it literally literally sounded like uh, a euphemism let's go fuck in the woods but yeah it was very aggressively weird by george when he talked to violet about it and then he ends up at mary's right and he he's like, he's like, I, 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 I never told anybody I was going to be here because right. his mom had called, like, "Hey, Mary, George is on his way over." Wow. But, but yeah, I like up until their wedding day, I don't feel George is in love with her. Mary. Felt a little bit convenient. Yes. But again, at the time, and even still, a lot of men marry the convenient one. Like she's in love with me. She will be there for me. She will take care of my household. This is what I want. 
And then they're really mean to their wives. At least George was never mean no, to her. And I, I will say that by the end of the movie, George def- definitely loves Mary. Like, fully love. Like, one of the things that we see with Clarence is that he really does love Mary. Um, it just took him a fucking decade and a half to get there. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, we also kind of, because we've kind of been jumping around, we've skipped over the fact that um, George's dad is is business partners with his uncle at the the savings and loan kind of place, which is... uh, Oh, his uncle, the most, I guess, lovable dipshit ever. So (laughs) his his uncle is Polly from Rocky, basically. Well, that doesn't sound very lovable at all. Except for without, without, like, the the meanness and the racism. He's just a fucking dope. He's not mean at all. He's a nice guy, but he is, like, a huge fuck-up. And he has a bunch of fucking weird animals. He has a raven, which we see early on, but then at the end of the movie, we see he's got like a squirrel and all this, like a, a weird looking dog, all in his office. I missed the raven until like two thirds of the way through the movie, and I'm like, where the hell did this bird come from? I literally thought it was like an omen, like a sign of like, because this is when it was everything was starting to go downhill for George. And my husband, who was watching the movie yeah. with me for the first time, he's like, this bird has been here the whole time. I'm like, how did that's, I not notice the bird? I noticed it too. It's like it's sitting on the because it's sitting desk. on the front desk. What is this raven doing? Um, but th- yeah, they're business partners in this business, which is basically giving people money, loaning people money to help them survive. It is a so his George Bailey's father owns essentially, yeah, an ethical loan company, which yeah, it's kind of like it's a, wild that that is a credit, thing that exists. Yeah, but it's like an ethical loan company. Yeah. Um, so George failing. wants yes, constantly failing. And yeah. Mr. Potter, who owns everything in town, who is a old man that was apparently going to live forever, and he, he's in a wheelchair, but his wheelchair is a fucking throne. Mr. Potter is, uh, he's Scrooge. Yes, he's That's the I Mr. Potter character. Um, he but, was throne the entire time. But, yeah, so the whole thing is, you know, and George admires his father. His father's a good man. His father knows that he's never going to be rich, but, like, he keeps this business open to actually help people, and he's the only reason that Potter hasn't been able to buy any everything in town. Um, and he dies, of course, and George doesn't get to go to college. It's literally the day George is going to go to co- leave for college. No, to leave to travel the world. He, yeah, he's going to go uh, like on a walkabout around Europe. And then go to college right after that. Like, he saved his whole life for this. He finally has the money. His father could not afford to send him to college. So, you know, he's been working at the pharmacy since he was 12 years old. So he could do this trip and go to college. George finds this out while Mary is naked in some hydrangeas after the dance. He finds out his dad has died of a stroke. So the dance... To put that in context, everybody fell in a pool at the dance. the, The school gymnasium... Had the pool underneath of it, and there's a button that you can split the floor, the gymnasium floor, to open up to the pool. So and somebody a, hit the button. So it's a Bond villain's trap. <laughs> but they fall in, which is really funny because they're doing the Charleston, and like they're and George is like, I don't know how to Charleston, and then they start the Charleston, and George is like, fucking like, you know, Gene Kelly dancing like a that, madman. There's something you won't hear anymore. Right, the Charleston. <laughs> and as the thing's opening, everybody stops and sees that it's opening, except for George and Mary who keep dancing. And every once in a while, they'll back up and get real close to the edge, and everybody's like, "Whoa!" But nobody, you know, grabs them. And eventually they fall or in. say anything. And eventually they fall in, and it's hilarious. And the whole dance jumps into the pool, 
which is, you know, cute, weird, stupid shit. Even the principal. Yeah, it was a fun scene. <laughs> and then afterwards, he's walking her home, and they see the old decrepit house, and Mary's like, oh, I'm going to live there someday. And George is like, that piece of shit? <laughs> um, and then they're like, uh, somehow Mary's robe that she was wearing, to, you know, because her clothes were ruined and jumping in the pool, um, gets pulled off, like snags and gets pulled off. And George, like, didn't see it happen. He's looking around, and he's like, Mary, Mary, where'd you go? And it, there's, like, just Donna Reed's face, like, in the bushes, like, I'm in the hydrangeas. And he's laughing about it because he's got her robe, and, like, it's stupid. And then, yeah, somebody comes up, like, George, it's your father. And then, yeah, you find out he had a stroke. You know, there was a whole thing there. You could have had the principal being like, oh, God. <laughs> or uh, or, 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 Donna, or Donna Reed just going, like, howdy ho, neighbor. For a or, second, uh, I uh, I thought that George left with Mary's robe. I was like, did he leave with her robe? Oh, that would be fun. That would have been, if if that was taking place today, he would have like totally forgot he had her robe on his arm and left with it. Um, so yeah, that's like one of the first times George's life, George's his sacrifice. So his he takes over his course. father's business and uses all of his savings to send his little brother to college. Yeah, and the reason he chooses that is because if he doesn't stay and take over the business, Mr. Potter is going to take it over. And that ain't good for anybody. Mm-hmm. So wait, why would then? What advantage is it taking or sending his doofus brother, who almost drowned, to the to college? What what what's that going to do? Because George was the only person that was capable of running the business. No, I understand that, but because why his not brother just... wanted to go to college and he wanted to provide for his brother. Yeah, but his brother goes to college. Becomes a huge football star. Becomes a huge football star, and then becomes a war hero and saves a whole bunch of people. So. Yep. All from a kid who slapped Annie's ass on the way out the door. That and a nickel yep. will get you a cup of coffee in 1946. But so this is the, like the first sign of George sacrificing his goals and his, his, his what he wants to do with his life in, for the greater good. Uh, the next time we see it is when he and Mary get married. They're getting ready to leave on their honeymoon uh, to travel the world. This confused me a little bit. So this is a, the so timeline confused right. me a little bit because so. I, I, it's, it felt like I thought that was supposed to be, maybe it was completely unrelated, oh, but I thought it was supposed to be like the big market crash, but that happened in 1929 yeah. and this was at least 1934, 35 based on the timeline. Yeah. Well, if the party was in 1928. Right. Runs of the bank still happened even later on. Um, and so, yeah, there was a run on the actual bank. Um, so people couldn't get their money, and so then they tried to get their money out of their lo- like out of their investment loans. Which is exactly what happened in 1929. Right. Everybody ran to the bank and withdrew all their money, and that's why all the banks collapsed. And so, what happens is is Potter buys the bank during this crisis, and then he goes to George and he goes, "I will pay all of these people the money you owe them, fifty cents on the dollar." And George is like, "You can't do that. That's ripping off poor people." And they're desperate for the money, so they're going to do it. And George, yeah, of course, the poor people aren't thinking through it, and they're scared, and so they'd rather just go get their fifty cents on a dollar on the dollar and lose money than try to write it out. And so, victim blaming the poor people, Amanda. Is this is where we're going? A little bit, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Poor people can make bad decisions too. Uh, Poor people (laughs) may not have the option. Well, that's the point. It's it's George sees that they're being exploited, and he tries to point it out to them, but they're also like. We can't survive without any money, and the bank won't give us any money right now. But it was only like a few days. It wasn't like yeah. the rest of the year. Or it was it was like a well, few days. Also, so, it's a movie. So George takes literally gets from his wife 
Connery, Mary, um, the wad of cash they had for traveling the world, and he goes, I have $2,000. $2,000 in my hand. I can pay, I can give you money. To, to get you through the week. To get you through the week. And, of course, he's like, how much do you need? And the first guy is that jackass. He's like, I need my $242. Yeah, he had $242 in the, in the bank. He's like, I can't give you all $200. How much do you need to get through the week? I think he ends up giving him the money. But right. everybody else is like, yeah. $20 is fine so to get me through the week. Like 17 George is like, God bless you. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, he, he saves. Which, again, reminding money. the audience, this was the 1940s. $20 was plenty to get you through the week. Because, right. yes, a cup of coffee was five cents. So, once again. George sacrifices all of his plans to a fault and saves saves the town from this very horrible person in, in Mr. Potter. Um, and so this is this is the George Bailey that we, we, we come to know. Um, and Mary is very supportive. Like she I think she's the one that offers up well, the money knew. to him initially. I mean, I think that's part of the reason she loves him. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's nice to see like his wife supportive and then she puts on a fake honeymoon. Or a substitute honeymoon in the shitty house in the in the dilapidated house where all of his friends are like butlers and footmen and, and she's roasting two chickens on a spit and using a record player to use it to turn the spit, which is brilliant. Which you know what, making the best of a bad situation, you need somebody like that in your life, for oh, real. By the way, at this point, um, hee haw is loaded because George Bailey was like, "Hey, if you take soybeans and turn them into plastic, you can make tons of money," and so. Hee-haw's like, well, you want to do that with me? He's like, no, I got to keep being a good guy here and save the city. Hee-haw gets super rich. Um, yep. And so there's that situation, too, which Hee-haw is the fucking... He literally is... He's a grown-ass man at this point who's a millionaire at the very least. I didn't even realize... Because they don't always call him Hee-haw. Right. They called him Hee-haw two or three times, so I thought it was just a weird, like, laugh or something. Hee-haw! Yeah, He's because Mary actually just goes hee haw on the phone, and I was like, "That's a weird way to say ha ha." Like that was very. I didn't realize it was his name. Talks like a normal adult man, but then if you think something's funny, he'll just go hee haw, and he literally puts his hand up to his temple and like wiggles. So he he does half the Dave Coulier bullwinkle. Yes. Yes. It is so fucking stupid, and I can't I can't imagine even in the 1940s that that was cool to anyone. Well, I think the idea is to make you hate them. I don't hate him. He's just annoying. Um, so there's that. Um, but it, but it's just the idea that this doofus is thriving while you're... Well, that I'm is... sorry. You can't be rich and say hee-haw. It's just not right. Oh, but you can. And that was that was well, actually... It all the time. Another point in the movie is the younger brother, Harry, who was kind of a dipshit, hee-haw, who was kind of a dipshit, all these guys that have sacrificed nothing... Went on and lived great lives, became war heroes, became millionaires, had wives, all of these things. And poor George, that always does the right thing, really has nothing to show. I mean, he has his family, which is good, say, and friends. Reed. That's nothing to but like, stick at. he's he, he he's not able to follow any of his dreams or do any of the things that he really wants to do. That gets us to the next thing. He's always stressed out about money because money is always going to be an issue. The temptation of George Bailey. So ah, yes. Point, George starts to build uh, what's basically uh, a subdivision mm-hmm. uh, of subsidized housing. Really nice little homes for people that need money. Like Martini, uh, who I love Martini in this movie, by the way. But um, Mr. Potter is being told, people are not 
paying rent at your places anymore because they're moving out and going Because they can afford to buy a home, so you can't be an evil landlord anymore. And so Potter's like, well, then I'll just buy George Bailey. Uh, and so he invites Bailey over to his office and starts talking to him about it. He gives him a big fucking cigar, and they're talking. Which, speaking, this scene where... Because Potter is in this giant throne the whole time, and then George Bailey sits down in the chair, which is there. So the chair on George's side is super short, so George is way shorter, and that's like such a like Trump tactic thing to do. Um, (laughs) Make whoever's sitting across from you feel small. So Potter says something about the garlic eaters, and I'm like, you. Oh, that's what that means. Wait, why do you assume that that's aimed at you? Well, it was aimed at Martini, who's an Italian guy. Well, there, not you. No, it's still he put the Greek. He puts the Greeks in with the with the Italians and that. When he said that, I was like, I know that's an insult, but I don't get it. And for whatever reason, just now I get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's like when the like mob, you know, mob guys always you know said, "You're a cheese eater." I'm like, "Yeah, cheese is good." Yeah. Cake eater. What? That's from the Mighty Ducks. Call you can delight a woman by handing her a piece of cheese. <laughs> but yeah, he calls them garlic eaters. I'm like, you fucking bastard. Yeah. Immediately. But so he offers George $20,000 a year. But. I don't know what that is in inflation standards. Probably a lot. Probably 100K. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that. But. Yeah. No, it probably is. Um, I mean, there was a whole conversation about how long would a man have to save to get $5,000 to buy a house. Because that's what yeah, that was an expensive house back it, then. It was also easier to buy a house then. It was, but that was a very my parents' first house, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, in nineteen sixty nine. So yeah, five thousand dollars in nineteen forties. That was a lot for a house. Yeah, so twenty thousand dollars a year would be a lot of money. Yeah, holy shit! How much did you do the inflation? Twenty four is that what it's three twenty six. Okay, yeah, six thousand dollars a year. That's fucking loaded money mm-hmm. right um back then but it came with not now now 325,000 is still 325,000 a year yeah. is still like middle class now with how expensive everything is uh, what what middle class used to mean where you could have a house and a family and a car and your bills were all paid very upper, upper i was gonna class. say yeah no that's what i mean though like right. you have to make that much to be middle class now to have that lifestyle. Oh, well, I don't make anywhere near that. But uh, what's interesting, though, is like, George is like, oh, excited about it. I mean, it's huge money, right? And it comes with the caveat that Potter takes, uh, they have to shut down the bus- the, the savings loan business. And, you know, he's got to work for Potter and all this stuff. And George realizes that his business is the one thing in the way of Potter taking over this entire town. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, without even talking to Mary, he just goes, nope, we're not going to do it. Um, I was really worried for a second when he was like, oh, let me talk to her. Nope, you know what? I don't need to talk to anybody, sir. My answer is no. I was like, oh, thank God. Right. Um, (laughs) Because again, I had only remembered him being sort of a piece of shit in this movie, which he gets to eventually, but... He's not. He's He's not. not. The meltdown is completely warranted, but that's all I remembered, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that happens, they move on, time travels, World War II starts, everybody that gets drafted from, from whatever the name of the town is, I can't remember the name of the town. Bedford Falls. Bedford Falls, survives World War II, 
Harry gets the Medal of Honor. I, this just sounds like one charmed ass town. Really it is, is, but only except for, except for only because except of for George, uh, the Baileys. Yes, I'm sure it's re- George Bailey's reason nobody died in World War II from Bedford Falls. Well, yeah, because um, he led the war effort of because he couldn't serve because of his bad ear. Right. So he led yeah. the tire drives mm-hmm. and you know the gas drives and all of the yeah. the meat drives and all of the things that people had to contribute back then. Um, so that happens, and then we get to the, basically the present in the film. Uh, his brother has just won the Medal of Honor. He's going to come home, and they're having a big celebration. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and his uh, uncle is going to go deposit $8,000 from the business into the bank. So I sort of blame George for this, because why would you trust your uncle with that much money knowing what a fuck up he is? I can't with this uncle, though. Like, I would never give the biggest fuck up in my life all of my money and be like, just go to the bank, sir. It'll be fine. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Because you're in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so the uncle goes. You're not the biggest fuck up in my life, Dave. Don't wow. worry. At the bank, he fills out the deposit slip. He's got a newspaper. And then Potter comes in. And they get into, uh, you know, a bullshit altercation about, like, you're this or that, and the uncle's like, well, look at this, and hands him the newspaper with the, you know, with Harry's name on the front, you know, local boy gets Medal of Honor. Turns out he had the envelope of $8,000 in the newspaper when he gave it to In him. his hand. So. He, is he plastered at the very least? No, he's not this time. He does drink throughout the movie, um, which is also another sign of, like, the puritanical thing, like, oh, of course the fuck up someone that drinks. Um, Go, he literally goes up to the teller, hands the deposit slip over, and she's like, oh, where's the $8,000? And he's like, oh. <laughs> he literally forgot that he had it with him two minutes ago. And then and has he, no idea where it's at. Goes back to the business, searches the place, can't find like, it. Like, never occurs to him that it was in his hand and it must be in that newspaper. Never occurs to him. And of course, Potter finds the money mm-hmm. and keeps it. As he would. As he would. And so, so it's so dumb. Um, and so then, like, there's also like a bank inspector at their business that day on Christmas Eve, and yes, because it's Christmas Eve, but the bank is open and the bank inspector is yeah, there, and everything's just business really as usual cool on Christmas you know, Eve. Sometimes you just let those inspections like they creep up on you. You 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 put them off, and then it's there at the end of the year, and you don't want to do it on New Year's. So you'd rather So you do it on like December twenty seventh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So they tell they tell George, the other employees at the at the business, tell George, okay, we're missing eight thousand dollars. And George is like, fuck. Right? Um this guy's the the bank inspector's there that day. Can't figure like nobody knows what the eight thousand dollars is. Their their books are are, are late eight thousand dollars now because of this. He goes, I need to find eight thousand dollars. The only place I could get $8,000 this quickly is Mr. Potter. Mr. Motherfucking Potter. And Potter at this point is like, oh, George, what what can you do for me? And George is like, well, the only thing I have is my life insurance policy in my coat pocket here. Because you carry around your life insurance in your coat pocket. My $15,000 life insurance policy. And he's like, well, how much is it just like worth capital? He's like... What is he like five hundred dollars or something? Like I don't. I didn't. I don't even know. I wasn't. And Potter's like, <laughs> no. 
And in fact, no, no, no. And also, because I am on the board of your company, uh, because his dad put him on the board years and years ago, uh, he goes, I have reported you to the police, and they're going to arrest you for fraud. For $8,000. Embezzling or whatever. Right. And this is when George goes, just like, and he goes home to his family, and he's a mess, and he yells at his kids, including, you know, the one playing the piano, which, fuck that kid. Kid was being annoying. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, I was I was having a day today because I am exhausted, I am stressed, and I, and I don't feel good. Um, and my husband was being annoying, and I yelled at him. So, like, watching George just, like, come home after a fucking day, and everybody's just, meow, 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 and needing stuff from him, I totally related to him just yelling at everyone. Is the youngest daughter, Zuzu, got sent home sick from school that day. I still want to know where the hell they came up with the name Zuzu. I know. Well, it's so dumb. But, anyway, the teacher sent her home without a coat. <laughs> and so the teacher... She uh, had well, a coat. She walked home with it unzipped because she didn't want her flower to suffocate that's it so the teacher calls that sounds like a weird euphemism doesn't it the teacher calls to check in on i don't think it is though but yeah i wouldn't think so donna reed's talking or mary's talking to her and uh george is like let me talk to her and just lays into the teacher for letting her walk home without without her coat zipped up you're stupid bitch basically yeah my child is sick and ailing and you'll let her walk and then the Though the teacher's husband gets on the phone and is like, I'm going to kick your ass. And George is like, come on and do it. <laughs> I love that the way phones worked back then, that the teacher had hung up and there's nobody on the line. And then all of a sudden the husband is on the right, line. The line was still physically connected. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, they come and do it. And the end of the conversation, he goes off to check on Zuzu. And we still we have another touching moment of George. Because uh, for whatever reason, he's not mad at Zuzu, just everybody else. Well, I mean, Zuzu's pure innocent, right? But he, he's I mean, so are his other kids, right. too. So he comes down and he freaking... Oh, you're not making any racket. He blows up it's at true. everybody, like, knocks shit over, and then he, he stops because he's not an asshole. Because he's not a piece of shit, and he just immediately individually apologizes to each of them. Which is the right thing to do. Right. But not even just, I'm sorry, everyone. It's like, Mary, I'm sorry. Harry please, please go ahead and practice your like, stuff, Harry. Here's how you spell frankincense. Like full on apology, and Mary looks at him like he's a monster, and he runs out the door and goes to Martini's bar as you do, and gets hammered, and then gets punched in the face by the teacher's husband. Yep. <laughs> how would he know? Because they literally said Bailey, and he's like Bailey, uh, George Bailey. Bailey? Yeah. You made my wife cry. <laughs> it's so, oh my God. Hey, but at least he made her cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but So yeah, so he's drunk, wasted, beat up. He's driving his car. Because of course he's driving. Right, and hits a tree. I mean, you didn't have to have a license back then, I don't think, so. Yeah, hits a tree, gets out of the car. This guy that was sitting by the at, at the house is like, my grandfather planted that tree, you bastard. And George's like, wow, wow, wow. And just like wanders off. I just thought it was weird that the guy came running out of his house to yell at him, holding an umbrella in the snow. Like, I guess it technically works, but it just was weird to me. Well, what would you have him hold? 
I don't know. I usually just put a hood on when it's snowing. I don't think about having an umbrella for the snow. Did they? I mean, they didn't yeah. have like hoodies or anything back then. I mean, then. they had hoods on their coats, hats. Yeah. They had hats. Hats. Yeah. You could have had a hat. Um, so, oh, by the way, when he got punched, like he got punched once right in the jaw and he starts just bleeding. <laughs> was he at least wearing a onesie? No. When he came out of the house. No, he was wearing full suit the entire movie. No, no not the, him. The maybe, guy. maybe under his uh, trench coat, yeah, pea coat. Because maybe that would explain his complete lack of uh, wherewithal, or to have uh, something better at the ready than than an umbrella. Yeah. So George wanders drunkenly over to this bridge. He looks down at the water that is definitely not a river water. Like, it's churning, like, the fucking ocean, like, up against the rocks. Like, chop, 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 chop. I mean, it might have been a river, but there, because there was, like, a blizzard happening. Yeah, but even, like, you can tell the difference. That was, like, well, it should look, tidal water. It should look, uh... Ominous. Yeah, it should look dangerous. It look dangerous and ominous. And he's looking out at the bridge. Any water is dangerous and ominous in the middle of winter. Right. When you're drunk. He's looking down at the bridge, and he's getting ready to jump. And all of a sudden, from the side, you see some dumbass jump in the water. Well, first they pan over to him, and there's just this old dude standing there, the weirdest look on his face, half smiling. Fucking amazing. It's Clarence, by the way, the angel. Not just some weird dude, but he seems like some weird so, dude. So Clarence, the angel, jumps into the river, and George, being who he is, jumps in to save him. So basically, and this is the, the this is what Clarence explains to him afterwards, is Clarence jumped into the river to be saved by George because he didn't want George to jump into the river to kill himself. So instead, he makes him jump in the river anyway. I mean, on so one he hand... he still kills himself. Well, he doesn't. He the, doesn't die. The end result being... I mean, on one hand, it worked, but on the other hand, yeah, him going into the river was definitely a risk. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. So we get this, like, they get him out, they get out of the river and there's like a bridge keeper, like a bridge keeper's house and there's a bridge keeper in there. And this poor guy goes through... Sits there for this whole conversation of Clarence explaining to George that he's his guardian angel. And you're just like, oh, where's your wings? And all this stuff. And this bridge keeper's just sitting there the whole time like, what is happening? What is going on? <laughs> Eventually he leaves because he's like, I can't take this anymore. Y'all are bananas. Um, and Clarence is so dumb. Like, like earnest but dumb and carrying around a copy of Tom Sawyer. And he's like, oh, I heard his, he's writing a new one. It's going to be even better. And I'm like, oh, God. Um... It's so weird. And Still wearing the same pajamas that he was buried in, apparently. In yeah. <laughs> so it's literally like a tunic and like nothing else. That's all he's wearing, uh, which is real weird. And George is like, I need a drink. <laughs> um, and George wishes like that he's never been born at all. And he's like, okay, you can be never been born at all. Let's see what happens. Uh, and so they try to go to the bar, Martini's bar again. But it's not Martini's anymore. Now it's Nick's. Which, honestly, you know, I like Martini, but good for Nick coming up in the world. No right. longer the bartender, he's the owner now. So I feel like right. that worked out okay for him. And, uh, my note for this scene is they're in the bar, and they're trying to, like, George orders a double bourbon, good for him. And uh, Clarence is, like, trying to figure out what the fuck he wants. He's like, I don't know, maybe a flaming rum punch? And you just, they just keep going back to Nick standing there looking pissed off. What the hell is a flaming rum punch anyway? I've heard of rum punch. I have never heard of a flaming rum punch. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, a, a move from a fighting game. There you go. But my, my, I just love like watching this guy playing Nick 
just staring death stare at them. I mean, I, I've been, I've been to these bars. Like we were in New Orleans recently, right. and we're in a dive bar, and this group of young, this young, very guy, like probably twenty two, comes in, and he's like, "Hey, do you make hurricanes here?" And the bartender just goes, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> Um, but <laughs> flaming rum punch exactly but, uh, I feel like the guy who played Nick must have had a blast just standing there staring daggers at the, at the like that was his role in the movie was just being angry mm-hmm. and not even having to say he said like five words in the whole movie and he's just like mm-hmm. and it's just so great I mean he must have had a blast doing they're going to remake this movie put the guy who played dokes and dexter in that role fucking underrated choice great there you go um we just know him as dokes though yeah i don't know what his real name is (laughs) yeah just dokes in the credits he's known as dokes um so we find out like those angels giving me the creeps this is is nicks instead of martinis now and the town is now called pottersville um and yeah so they leave the bar because they get thrown out because they can't pay um and so they're walking through downtown pottersville and this is where we see all the bars along the downtown strip and a burlesque uh, house and you know hookers and stuff like it's definitely the devil's playground oh boy it is biff's hill valley it really a little bit it is biff's hill valley um and I said, I, I literally put in my notes, it's interesting that the idea of a terrible downtown is drinking and dancing girls. It's such a puritanical idea. Um, Makes me think of New Orleans right. again. Um, <laughs> or Vegas. <laughs> and then we, I don't remember how it happened, but Clarence bit a cop. <laughs> um, and then later, George punches the cop. Right? Uh, and, they sh- and the cop shoots at I'm like, that's that's a bit of an over like he literally punches the cop and runs away and the cop pulls out his gun and starts firing at him. Okay. You didn't see that part? I guess I missed that part. I saw the part where he gets in the cab. Yeah. Cause he thinks it's his friend who right. doesn't remember him, of course. And uh his friend like signals the cop like, hey, yeah. the guy in my backseat is woohoo. Right. So Oh, and then we do see Mary who never married. Oh yes, Mary is an old spinster now. They literally went full Rachel Lee Cook. Who who is? Oh, she's so old and so spinstery, and she wears glasses and works at the library. (laughs) They literally uglyed her up by putting glasses in her hair. (laughs) Some things never change. Oh my god! But also, he literally says she's an old spinster now, and I don't know how old she is, but I'm guessing my age. Which is 43. It's probably like 37. I was just, like, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I'm like, okay. (laughs) Oh, poor Mary. She's a librarian. Yeah, I know, right? She actually has a career outside the home because she never got married. wears glasses. Holy shit. Like, her eyes went bad because George Bailey doesn't exist. Right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. um, But that's it. Those are the things that convince George that it's better the two have lived. So just so you know, I'm sorry, Frank Capra was a conservative Republican. That's so weird. Makes sense. No, it, it's it's actually weird because of the whole Potter versus Bailey thing, which is very much free market versus a socialist form. 
Um, I was merely saying because of the puritanical oh, yes. look. Puritanical of it. makes sense. Yes. Um, I think the Daily Wire would make this this these days. So that's it. That's oh, and his mom is his mom runs a boarding house. His mom runs a boarding house. Also, his brother died. Yeah, because he didn't save his brother. Mm. So because he didn't save his brother, his brother never went to war and his whole platoon that he had saved died. Everyone died. But most importantly, you didn't have to pay for him to go to college. Yes. Honestly, it's a real quick run through of how worse off the world is without George Bailey. Well, and Violet is not living her best like vixen life. She's getting kicked out of a nightclub for something. I'm not sure what. She was on her last dollar. George gave her a couple bucks to go to New York because she didn't have any money. Like, it's not like Violet's, you know, life. But she had somebody to to look out for her as opposed to, I don't know, maybe she was a prostitute and that's why she was getting kicked out. I'm not sure. She Um, had turned to darker things. But they did lead to one of my favorite moments. And this is the small things when you see film. And the filmmaking in this is really well done. Like, what makes this a good movie is the, the George story, I think, up through into Clarence, and the filmmaking itself, and, and Jimmy Stewart's acting. Like, the movie itself, premise-wise, and all that, I'm like, eh. But the moment when George realizes that he wants to live, and he wishes to be to live again, it starts snowing at the exact moment he wishes to be alive. Of course it does, because snow is magical and not at all annoying. But they did it perfectly. Like it wasn't like just giant clumps all of a sudden. Just like you just started seeing the flurries come down and build up, and I'm like, that's really nicely done. Symbolism for the hope coming back. Right, but it was really nicely done. Um, and so he goes home to get arrested. <laughs> yep. They're all the cops are there. Everybody's there, and he's like, ah, I'm so happy. And everybody's like, what the fuck? You're about you're about to get arrested, bro. Uh, and then, like, everybody shows up and they bring money. Like, as a kind of a mirror of what George did earlier mm-hmm. with saving the town when he, with his honeymoon money. Um, they all sh- show up and, um, you know, like, Martini comes in with a bunch of shit and Martini's fucking great. Uh, Annie even shows up, even though she hasn't been in the movie for two hours. <laughs> and what did she say? What the fuck? She oh. said this... This was the money I was saving for a divorce if I ever got married. That's what she gives him. <laughs> and I'm just like, Annie, you are the best. <laughs> Practical. Yeah. Um, fucking Hee Haw shows up with a bunch of money. Or maybe he doesn't no, Hee Haw, he's the one that called and yes, gave him a loan for $20,000. $20,000 is right. The $20,000 that he could have gotten for a year from, right. what's his face? Right. And Potter. The big old gushy, you know, saccharine ending. Everybody you know. comes together to damn the man and save the empire. And there's a bell that rings and Clarence gets his wings. And we never, see, we don't actually see it happen because we don't see them, the celestial beings outside of being stars. But we, we know Clarence gets his wings. But that's where the famous line of the bell on the tree rings and Zuzu says, Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Yes, Susan, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the movie ends. Uh, and I wrote this as my note as a reaction to this movie. Was it good? Yes, I think Jimmy Stewart is somehow one of the most underrated actors of all time, and I think he was the only person for this role. The filmmaking itself was excellent, but somehow, despite it being over two hours long, it feels rushed. 
It's basically two movies, both in both in narrative and in message. I think it's at its best before George George Bailey's world comes crashing down around him. Everything after is fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a weird thing because, like I said, it, the movie is known for that whole premise of the angel and you know what the world would be like without you. Mm-hmm. But I think the best parts of the movie are before that whole thing happens. I think George's story, it's almost, it's kind of Forrest Gump-like. Yeah? You know, where you're just kind of seeing this person live their life, and there are these moments that are interesting and nice or not so nice or, like, make you think about things. But, I don't know, it felt like after Claire shows up, it feels rushed. It feels like they're trying to push this thing on you. I don't know, it just feels less of a quality movie. Do you think that's because of the whole Tradwife epiphany part of it, where they are trying to convince you that it was, in fact, better for you to make all of these self-sacrifices throughout your life, that those were the right decisions, because, hey, everybody's going to come through for you in the end, so that makes it all okay. So don't feel bad about all the things that you never got to do that you always dreamed about. Pacing changes, I think the heavy-handedness of, which you didn't even notice, but I felt heavy-handed, of the puritanicalness of, of the second uh, second part of it. Um, the the fact that, yes, these people are all worse off, but I don't know, like, I don't feel like it was strong, a strong enough argument to make George want to come back. I, I don't know. I, there's just so many parts of this, that second... That last third of the movie that 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 I, I don't I don't know it, I, it just doesn't sit as well. With it me, it so sounds like his argument is is definitely more of a greater good than a everything is greater good with George. But yeah. that's the thing; like he gains really nothing by coming back except for you know his family, which is the only thing of value he really has. He's still coming back to go to prison. Yeah, like. I just want George to get Could what he, he wants once. Yeah, like shooting his uncle in the face. Or getting to go to fucking New York, of all places. Like, he can't even get to New York. Him choosing to live was actually another self-sacrifice. Yes. For everyone it's else. frustrating. I'm like, it's not even, he's not even selfish. His, his goals, his dreams aren't even selfish dreams. Like, why can't he just is he, get what he wants now, once? Now, is he altruistic, or is it more like he just was left with no choice because everyone else around him sucks so bad? He's kind of John McClane in that sense. Like, nobody else is going to save the town. It's got to be George Bailey. I mean, he's a bit altruistic because he, he sees that it's the right thing to do, and he does it. He doesn't have to. He could have right. just left. He didn't have to do any of that, but he chose to. Also, if he hadn't, no one else would have, was going to. Like, he was the only person that could do all of these things, which makes takes you back to the Christ-like figure. Like, he's their savior, right? And everyone he, around him that didn't make any sacrifices got rewarded. And he even died and came back. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> like, it is. It's very Christ-like if you think about it that way. Also, I will say that um, if you consider this movie a Christmas movie, and you don't consider Die Hard a Christmas movie, there is something wrong with your argument. I consider Die Hard a Christmas movie. I mean, too. So is Gremlins. But I will say that 
I was going to actually bring up Gremlins. And yep. like, even though it's not at all like either one of the... the, the other it's two still movies. a Christmas movie. Two-thirds of this movie takes place outside of Christmas time. True. Yep. It ends at Christmas, so I guess that's why they call it a Christmas movie. Die Hard, the entire movie takes place during Christmas. Yeah. I'm not arguing with you, Nick. No, I'm not. I, I'm looking at you. But I'm, I'm literally I'm, agreeing I'm, with I'm, you, I'm sir. I'm arguing with people that, that would say that one is a Christmas movie and one is not. Who, who are these people? These imaginary the, people. The, the Twitter people? They, they both have equally... No one on Twitter is worth talking to. They both... <laughs> Both uh, both this movie and Die Hard have equally um, unrealistic uh, views of the world, or at least as far as their main characters. I mean, you, you gotta. These are just normal people who, uh, yeah, take on a much larger yes. uh, meaning in the in the story. They they're not us. They're the us. We they're the us. The aspirational us. Look, I'll just say that George Bailey, John McClane, and Dante from Clerks are all the same person. Okay. Weird that that Dante I, from I, Clerks wasn't. He was never supposed to be there. Yeah, but, but he, he was showed up. Kind of shitty. Like nothing was shitty about George. No, Bailey. Randall was shitty. Randall was shitty. So was Dante. Dante had no shittiness. He was just frustrated. Look. He was just in a constant state of joy. I mean, look, he got tired Ram, of his Ram, overbearing girlfriend telling him what to do, and he had the he had the. But old, she brought him lasagna. That's true. That is true. That All kinds of girls way. are going to be real hot. Look, he didn't, but they ain't going to bring you lasagna to work. Yeah, but he didn't. Violet brought me lasagna. I think Violet. No. To be fair, because Violet doesn't cook, but Violet would have brought you something. But technically, neither one of them actually cheated. There you go. I mean, okay. So maybe it's um just my pessimistic or nihilistic or whatever view of the world in general, but the end where you know everybody comes together for George and like helps him out, that like that probably wouldn't have happened <laughs> no. in real life. Like the amount of people that will actually be there for you in your time of need would have been very small. I'm an optimist. I like I I think I think there would have been a few. That would have tried to help sure. out, but it would not have been the entire, entire town. town. Absolutely not. They would have been like, "Man, times are hard. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't give you a dollar. Like, do you know how much groceries are? Like, I can't even imagine." He would have been like, "I gotta go buy more garlic to eat." Yeah, exactly. Not to mention, there's no. It, it's I, this isn't a large town. It's a it's medium not, town, but it's not. I mean, but it's a medium town where everyone knows George Bailey. This is the weird thing because when you see the town, it's larger than you think. Like, their downtown is built up more than you think. It's like Sunnydale, where I can't decide if it's the size of my hometown of Tuscola or if it's, like, the size of Naperville. Like, I can't tell how big it is. Those are towns in Illinois, for those of you that don't know Illinois. Um, Naperville has, uh, like, 150,000 people, and my hometown has 5,000 people. Right. (laughs) Which is another thing I thought was weird about this movie, is that it's supposed to be a small town, but then sometimes it didn't look like a small town. But Um, but did you ever see... Another bringing up another movie maybe you haven't seen, but it has a basically the same ending. But it was I forgot what it I even forgot what it's called. This sucks. Uh, but it was Nicolas Cage uh, and Rosie Perez are married. Oh, the one with the lottery ticket. Yes. Yes, I liked that movie. Uh, yeah, and that, but you know, at the end, Rosie Perez uses all of, like the money to 
to well to get a breast really just meant it was time to take off the girdle uh <laughs> but uh but it but Nicholas Cage who was married to Rosie Perez they get divorced she keeps all the money and he decides like well I'd still rather be with Bridget Fonda I don't care if we're poor and then but because it's a huge news story because this guy like when he won the lottery he promised he was like buying pe- people like you know all sorts of shit. He he didn't really have much use for the money. He was giving a lot of it away. Well, he, so the, the premise of the movie, if you haven't seen, I can't remember the name of the movie either. Is Nick isn't Cage, it called the Lottery Ticket? No. No. Oh, then I I don't a know. Cop, right? Yes. And Bridget Fonda is a, a waitress. A waitress, and he doesn't have tip money, but he has a lottery ticket. He goes, "If I win the lottery, I will give you half of it." Okay, I remember this movie. Uh, and then he wins the lottery. Was that the same movie that Rosie Perez was obsessed with Jeopardy? With who? Jeopardy. No, that was White Men Can't Jump. I couldn't. I, I, I thought it was either that or that. I couldn't remember which one. <laughs> but anyway, back to It's a it Wonderful could, Life. It, it could it could happen to you. That okay. No, no, but the ending in that is that like it was a, a national news story and people were like felt bad that he'd lost all this. He didn't right. have the. Oh, money. gotcha. So, so they sent. So everybody would send him like a check for twenty was, bucks like, or yeah, something it was like that. Envelopes full of money. Yeah. That he got so that makes sense that that would make you whole because like financially because that's a much greater pool to choose from. Not some. I mean, that's more like modern days where you know somebody starts a GoFundMe or somebody finds your GoFundMe, somebody influencer that actually has. Millions of followers is like, hey, this person needs some money. And yeah, everybody donates five bucks. So you end up with a ton of money. It is still definitely closer to modern than it is to the, the, the that movie. Yeah. Just to give you an idea of how old <laughs> that movie is. Oh. But this was a 1994 movie. And we're still not That's close. No. Years ago. Yeah. But, Shut up. But it's, Shut up. But it's not. But 46 years before that, right. or 48 years before that. was Well, that was also, you know, everybody talks about the bigger sense of community back then, which maybe was more true. I don't think that's, I think. I mean, as someone who grew up in a small town where everybody did know each other and knew each other's business, like. I think what community is has changed. I don't think the sense of community is less or more. Instead of being community enforced by geography we live in a, in a world where you can find your own community wherever they are uh, yeah it's more of an idealistic or, but this was like your community was just where you were because that yeah, was sure. that was what it was you were forced that way yeah technology restrictions where, where people st- yeah people still use the term uh you know but i, I that's that's your neighborhood like oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh no i guess we're talking well, Kyle Rittenhouse said it was my community. Well, it was an hour drive away. It's not, or, or he's like not your neighborhood though. Like, yeah, right. It's a different. My neighborhood. My neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful not day in the neighborhood. neighborhood. So did, you, did you think this is how I would react to "It's a Wonderful Life"? Um, I wasn't sure how you would react to "It's a Wonderful Life." I didn't think Dave would like it, but Dave didn't watch it, so. <laughs> He loved planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, I, I, did, I did. Yeah, I honestly didn't know how you would react to it. I didn't know how I would react to it seeing it again with You know what this movie was eyes. missing? Edie McClurg. Interesting. You needed a, a heavyset redheaded woman to be a little perky slash annoying. I mean, 
they could have just had more violet. Yeah, just more violet. But to be fair, the reason I've never watched it is because I'm not one for saccharine things. And everybody talks, like, every time you talk to somebody about this movie, it it just comes off as super saccharine, right? To be fair, most of the movie is not. But the ending is definitely very saccharine. Well, that's... I mean, all the movies, most holiday movies are saccharine. Which is why I don't like holiday movies. Well, which is funny, for as darkly funny as, like, Scrooged is. Mm -hmm. That's another one I've never seen. And I don't care about seeing it. I don't think Bill Murray is that funny. You don't don't care about seeing it, eh? We can't just do holiday movies. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe next year is Scrooge. uh, Or we could watch Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day. But you've seen Groundhog Day. I've seen Groundhog Day. I still don't think Bill Murray is that funny. Do you think that John Candy could have had the, the, the career that Bill Murray has had? John Candy... I don't think it would, it would have been a better question to ask if we watched Plain Turns on. No, but it's still a good question because I love John Candy. I watched The Great Outdoors last weekend again for the millionth time because for whatever reason they play that around the holidays all the time too. I didn't. Re- I didn't realize that he plays that character twice. Oh, and that and Uncle Buck. No, no. It's a. It's like a little uncredited cameo, and she's having a baby. Oh, that's interesting. John Candy would have had a great career. I don't know if it would have been the same as Bill Murray's. But I mean, it. but, well, again, that's a plain series of automobiles. But he's so good in it. He's so good in it. That, but, but I mean. What about John Candy in It's a Wonderful Life instead of Jimmy Stewart, since that's what we're talking about? You know what? I could see John Candy in this, like in a remake of this if he were still alive. I could too. I, I've always liked John Candy. I think he should. He's got a charm. He's got a charm. Mm-hmm. But I think he should be the angel. No, because Clarence sucks. Yeah, but John Candy doesn't. You know what? John Candy's the best part. Armed and dangerous. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie? That's, that's so damning with faint praise. It's <laughs> such a bad movie, but he's, he's John Candy. He's great, isn't it? What? <laughs> such a terrible movie. So, It's a Wonderful Life as a holiday movie. Rate it 1 through 10. As a holiday movie or as a film in general? As a holiday movie and as a film in general. I'll give you two ratings. Uh, as a holiday movie, I'll give it a 6. Uh, most because most of it doesn't take place at Christmas? Yeah. Okay. Also, I just don't like holiday movies, so that's not, you know, I'm not going to call it a holiday movie. Uh, I will say my exception to the traditional holiday movie that I do like is Elf, uh, which is very, like, over the top, but I think it, it embraces that. Uh, so, yeah, as a holiday movie six, I will give it an eight as a film in general. Um, hmm. if, if it was just the first two thirds, I'd probably give it a nine. Oh. How about you, Dave? Well, Incomplete. TBD. Yeah. Maybe we'll revisit it next year. Maybe. We won't. We won't do a whole other podcast about it. But Dave can at least you know, tell us what maybe, he thought of it. Maybe while you, you know, a week where you two have to watch something you've never seen before. I'll just watch that. That's there fair. you go. That's fair. But also, whatever we watch that week, you should probably still be like fresh in your mind as well. Yeah, I mean, I rewatched this because I hadn't seen it. I thought I had seen it, like. Recently, like within the last five to ten years, but I didn't remember a lot of it. So something like that can happen, it can slip away, which is nice. That's one of the nice things about this 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 uh, this podcast too is it can help us rekindle our relationships with lost films that like films that we loved or haven't seen in a while and go, oh yeah. It's like old music that I forgot about. That like a song will get brought up, I'll be like, oh my god, I forgot about this song. I loved this song. Exactly. It's amazing how you can forget about things that meant so much to you. So. We're kind of, I think we're pretty much wrapped up on this one. Yes. 
Before we move on, before we close out, uh, I think it's important that our listeners know that what we're planning on going on to next. Um, so this was this first episode. Amanda chose the film. Sort of. I didn't realize this was my my choice, but okay. Like I said you'll get choices down the road. Um, so that means that the next person to go is Dave. Dave gets to pick a movie. Even that, we didn't watch this. A time. movie that he has seen that either one or the other of us has not seen, or both. Or both. So what are you going to pick, Dave? What am I going to have well, to watch? Let's see, it's yeah, not not quite Christmassy, but there's a list. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be Christmassy because this is our Christmas episode. It's not a it's not a twelve days of sort of thing. It's more of a five less than that. Five less is seven. You were watching seven, is what you're saying? Because I haven't seen seven. Yes. What? Seven's been on my list. Okay, now that that is the point of this podcast. When a friend tells you they haven't seen a movie and your reaction is, what? (laughs) I I figured you would have noticed this is on the list. I forgot. There was a handful of them that the two of you hadn't seen, which most of the ones, Dave, that you haven't seen didn't surprise me because you're just a curmudgeon, and I'm like, of course he hasn't watched that. Some of them that Nick hasn't seen surprise me, so... I mean, it's... And Seven is one of them. Seven is one of those movies that has been on my list of things to watch for years. I just have never either had the moment or like felt like it. This is one of those movies I think where I'm like, I gotta be in the mood to watch it. it you, you, this is a, this is it's a movie that can fuck with your headspace. Also, I'm very aware of the premise of the movie. It's a serial killer that you know kills people in regards to the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, what's in the box? I was about to say that. <laughs> I also know that, and I also know what's in the box. So for, like for a movie, that's a spoiler though. Like when you watch that movie for the first time and you did not know what was in that box, who? Well, I mean to be fair, I'm pretty good at predicting those kind of things anyway. Like a movie that Dave has not seen, The Sixth Sense, I knew immediately the twist of that movie. Yeah, talk. See, there talk about a movie that I. Well, There's going to be a challenge of making Nick watch horror movies that he's never watched and seeing if he can guess the ending because he's so pompous about it. I'm better with I'm better with books. Yeah. Like, so, uh, all right. So, yeah, seven. Seven will be Sounds our next good. episode. I mean, it's a very to... different than It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, like the opposite. I, I, uh-huh. was, I was just surprised to see that there was somebody that hadn't seen it. So I was like, all right, well, that doesn't. that's not going to feel. That's one I'm I much said... more familiar with. I've definitely seen that one a handful of times in my adult life, I, but I will, I'll rewatch it anyway. I didn't, I didn't want to torture anybody on the first go around. Okay. So you don't think seven's torturing me? No, I think Seven is an excellent film I, and you I, will enjoy it. I think it. Se- sure. Seven still has some unfortunate things that we uh, otherwise will not be allowed to talk about, probably, in, or at least people. In I mean, movie. Kevin Spacey's in it, oh, okay. but so, he plays a piece of, oh, well, yeah, sorry, spoiler, he plays a piece of shit, so I think it's okay. Uh, well, I've seen The Usual Suspects and I've seen American Beauty, so I'm used to Kevin Spacey's <laughs> piece of shit. Um, I think that's interesting. Not to mention House of Cards. I will say, and I'm going to bring this up even though we're closing it out, it's interesting that Kevin Spacey came up today of all days because Jonathan Majors just got found guilty yep. of that assault charge mm-hmm. and got fired by Disney for playing for playing. Hey, he got a he got another uh, couple episodes of, uh, of, Loki. Of, of Loki in there before he got but canned. So it, it makes me think, and I actually was driving out here thinking about this, about how it's so hard for people to, like, there were people online, like, pissed off that Majors got fired. I'm like, no, of course he got fired. He got he got arrested and and he's been 
convicted now of assaulting a woman. This is a very different conversation than this podcast is about. Right, but I just wanted to point out because of, of the timing of this. Um, the, the, the fact that so many of us as, as viewers of content can't take the artist out of the art in that sense, like, like it, and defending the artist. You know what? This is, is this is an, this is a, that is a converse, a subject that we will have to delve into further when we talk about be, because yeah, there's, uh, yeah. people are selective in that too. And it's not something you necessarily are trying Hey but, man, I'm a Joss Whedon fan, so I completely yeah. understand. And by Joss Whedon, I don't mean him as a human person. I mean <laughs> his entire catalog of work. <laughs> I really love the way he deals with his actresses. So yeah, on that Joss Whedon note, uh, I think we can close this episode Did out. Did part of that get cut out? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, but we'll just fix it. They wouldn't have even known if you had not mentioned that. I would have cut it perfectly. It would have been beautifully edited. And now you listeners know that we fucked up somehow. But anyway, okay. I, I think they knew that from the beginning because yeah. I, you know, didn't watch the movie. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for listening with us. Um, I would tell you to check out our social media and all that, but we haven't really set that up yet because this is the first episode. Um, but if you want to uh, follow our parent company, Memoriam Development, you can do that. We're on Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter that we don't ever use and we're not going to call X because fuck that shit. Um, and we have an email that you can email us at, uh, where if you're like, Hey, have you guys all seen this movie? You should t- do this movie. If, if one of you hasn't seen it, uh, you can email us at memoriamdevelopment.com mm-hmm. and do that there. Also, uh, I know it's the first episode and so you don't have a huge, uh, pool yet, but, uh, if you want to give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. That'd be super swell, guys. I have a huge pool that you can hit a button and it, the floor... And the two main characters won't even notice and they'll fall right through. As they're Charleston. Yeah. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. I'm Nick Mataragas. I'm Amanda. Dave. And we'll talk seven next time. Ooh.